song where it says bless me now my savior it means bless me with your presence Well, 
over to page 17. Page 17, if you have a copy of our our homemade songbook. This song is called I Saw the Light. It was written by Hank Williams Sr., one of the founding fathers of country music and bluegrass music here in Tennessee, I believe. And it is the theme song of this ministry, I Saw the Light. Play it on the computer here. Thank you. 
Lord, Heavenly Father, praise your holy name. Thank you, Father, that you have shown us the light of truth. Thank you, Father, that you are the light of the world. Thank you, Father, that you are the source of eternal life and truth, true knowledge and wisdom and of all righteousness. That all life comes from you, all righteousness, all justice comes from you. You are the light, Heavenly Father. Thank you for displaying yourself, showing yourself to us through the knowledge of doctrine, through the scriptures, through truth, through revelation. Thank you, Father, for all the many different ways that you continue to speak to us, lead us and guide us and direct us. Thank you, Father, that you continue to teach and lead us in truth. Thank you, Father, that today your people will grow in truth and in your will. We ask, Father, that there be no stumbling blocks, no hindrances of any kind to the reception of this truth. We bind every spirit of witchcraft, ever curse, ever hex, ever spell that may be trying to come against either of us against this ministry. We bind those evil spirits by the blood of Jesus, by the name of Jesus, and by the Holy Ghost of Jesus. So be it. Forever, no weapon, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And every tongue of false condemnation and false judgment against this ministry is hereby condemned. For our righteousness is in Christ Jesus. Pray of the Lord. So be it. Heavenly Father, open our hearts and our minds. Receive greater truth. Let us not quench your spirit, but to accept your movement, your guidance in deeper truth. Help us to remember what we hear today and examine and test with Scripture and with the Holy Ghost. May your will prevail. 
In Jesus' holy name, amen. Praise Jesus. Let's turn to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 40. Exodus chapter 40. And, of course, we are reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible Translation. And you can find the free download of the PDF file to read and download it onto your phone. You can download it onto your computer for free. And then you can use that to read along with us until you get your paperback copies. But you're also welcome to try to follow along in any translation that you may have. Let's start in Exodus chapter 40. And today's date in the Roman Catholic calendar that the Western world uses is April the 6th, 2019 AD, in the year of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But in God's true calendar, his calendar of the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations, in his calendar of creation, this day right now, is the first day of the first month. The first day of the first month of the year. Now, it's not New Year's, because New Year's is on the spring equinox, March 20th and 21st, which this year also was parent. The first of the month does not have to align with the first of the year. The year is determined by the constellations, which determines the spring and fall equinoxes, summer, solstice, and so forth. Spring equinox is a new beginning coming out of the winter in the northern hemisphere where Israel is located, United States, Canada, the nation of Judah, so forth. Most of Israel is in the northern hemisphere. And in the northern hemisphere, you're coming out of winter into the spring from coldness and darkness and death of dead trees, dead leaves in the wintertime into new life in the spring equinox beginning a new year. But today, a couple of weeks later, after beginning a new year, we're now beginning a new month, the first day of the first month. And that's very significant, extremely extremely significant today's date. And you'll learn why as we read the scriptures today. Now the subject today is new moon observances, question mark. New moon observances. Should we observe as in deep, as in actually hold worship services, on the dates of the new moon, the first day of each month. Should we do that or not? We already know that we should observe the seventh day of the week, what people call the Sabbath, seventh day of the week, Saturdays, and sunrise until sunrise, the beginning of the sun rising up out of the darkness, from darkness to life, to begin a new day just like from winter to spring. We already know we keep the seventh day of the week. That is so abundantly clear in Scripture. Amen. And we also know we keep the holy days, including Perm, 
and the fiesta of dedication that people call Hanukkah. We keep those days as well, and those are clear in Scripture, especially if you read all of Scripture, which includes the book of Maccabees and so forth. Question remains then, there's one other observance that is a possibility, and that is the new moons. Throughout history, the Jews, the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes of Israel, they have continually observed the new moons. We have not done that in this ministry because I always felt like the Jews were only observing the new moons out of legalism, doing more than what is required, which they are known to do in many cases and many things, doing more than what is required or by the commandments of men and so forth or tradition. So I have always felt that that was the case, and I really never saw evidence, proof in the Bible as far as I could understand it in that day and time of all the years of my life. I never could really grab on to any proof in the Scripture that we as Christians and spiritual Israel, that we should also observe the new moon. So I just never could grab on to such evidence in Scripture. But today, we're going to re-examine that. And we will look at the first few instances in Scripture where it talks about the new moons, the first few instances of when it talks about new moons, as well as other verses throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, about the new moons, not just the first few, but a few scattered verses throughout Scripture, examining should we or should we not observe, keep, actually hold a worship service on the dates of the first day of each month, according to God's calendar, not the Roman so let's look at Exodus 40. Exodus 40, verses 1 through 17, God willing, verses 1 through 17. Exodus 40, verse 1. Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, on the first day of the first month at the new moon. Now that's today's date. This is not talking about the first day of any month, but rather a particular month for the year, the first month. The first day of the first month. That's today at the new moon, and today is new moon. You shall set up the tabernacle of witness. That is talking about the tent God instructed Moses to make a tent for worship services that would be used for the for 39 of the 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. And until the first temple was made out of stone, until that first temple was made out of stone, they used this uh, tent tabernacle, a, a church tent, basically a church tent. 
tabernacle of witness is what it was called. And you shall place in it the ark of the testimony or the ark of the covenant and shall cover the ark with the veil. And you shall bring in the table and set it, shall set forth that which is to be set forth on it. And you shall bring in the lampstand, which is the menorah, and place its lamps on it. In other words, there was different parts to the lampstand. It had to be assembled. And you shall place the golden altar to burn the incense before the ark. And you shall put a covering of a veil on the door of the tabernacle of witness. And you shall set or shall put the altar of burnt offerings by the doors of the tabernacle of witness. And you set up the tabernacle round about, and you shall sanctify all that belongs to it round about. And you shall take the anointing oil and shall anoint the tabernacle and all the things in it and shall sanctify it and all its furniture, and it shall be holy. The footnote says, yes, we can anoint people, places, furniture, and things with oil. And it refers to James 5 about anointing the sick. But this verse here also shows that even the furniture in the temple or in the church building was also anointed. Verse 10, and you shall anoint the altar of the burnt offerings and all its furniture. And you shall consecrate or sanctify the altar. And the altar shall be most holy. And you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doors of the tabernacle of witness. And you shall wash them with water. And you shall put on Aaron the holy garments, and shall anoint him, and you shall sanctify him, and he shall minister to me as priest. And you shall bring up his sons, and shall put garments on them, talking about priestly garments, and you shall anoint them as you did anoint their father, Aaron, and you shall minister to me as priest. And it shall be that they shall have an anointing of priesthood throughout their generations until the end of term, meaning until the end of the Levitical priesthood. Verse 16, And Moses did all things whatsoever Jesus commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year after they their going forth out of Egypt at the new moon, that the tabernacle was set up. So we see then that the first year after crossing the Red Sea, they did not have a church building. But on this date right here, on the first day of the first month of the second year, they put up the church tent to worship in. And this was the date of the anointing, consecration, ordaining of that church structure. It can be seen as the first temple, although traditionally we see that Solomon built the first temple, meaning temple of stone. But there are places in scripture that refers to this church tent as a temple. And it actually was the first temple, just not the first temple of stone is all. And notice that uh, we talked about the anointing oil, the burnt offerings, 
the incense, all of that that we've been talking about over the past few weeks is part of this. And all of those things were anointed everything on this date. Now let's go to the book of uh, Numbers, chapter 10. Numbers, chapter 10. And that's page 168, if you have the new copy, new updated copy, page 168. Numbers, chapter 10, verse 10. Numbers 10, verse 10. And in the days of your gladness or rejoicing, and in your fiestas and in your new moons, you shall sound with the trumpets at your whole burnt offerings and at the sacrifices of your peace offerings. And there should be a memorial for you before the Theos, before your Theos. I am Jesus, your Theos. So notice here that at the fiestas, which would be like the tabernacles, the Day of Atonement, uh, all the different Pentecost, all the different holy days, annual holy days, and in the new moon, the first day of every month, not just the first month, but the first day of every month, notice the pearl, new moons, used to sound the trumpet, and this would be at uh, sacrificing. The sacrificing would be present at that time, at all of these times. Then go to chapter 28, 28, verse 11, Numbers 28, verse 11. Numbers 28, verse 11. And at the new moons, you shall bring a whole burnt offering to Jesus, two calves of the herd and one ram, seven lambs of a year old without blemish. Intensifying flyer mingled with oil, and so forth here. Then go to chapter 29, verse 6. Chapter 29, verse 6. Beside the whole burnt offerings for the new moon and their meat offerings and their drink offerings and their long-term whole burnt offering and their meat offerings and their drink offerings according to their ordinance for a sweet-smelling aroma to Jesus. Amen which is learned recently, we grew in the truth. We came to more revelation, more understanding, more truth recently that it is acceptable to burn incense to Jesus. As it describes here, of course, we don't do the whole burnt offerings and the animal sacrifices anymore, but we still do the anointing oil. Amen. And according to the book of Revelation, in two different places in the book of Revelation, our prayers are burnt offerings. So we do still do burnt offerings as well, just not physically. There are spiritual burnt offerings. Our prayers are ascending up to God as smoke and as a burning offering, symbolically. And we have not yet listened to that sermon, and I may have even made an article 
about it, I believe. I hope I did. About the incense, you can look that up and find that article and or that sermon. I encourage you to do so if you've not yet examined the subject about incense. So it just grew in the truth about incense. Now notice here that there is a sacrifice and all these things, incense, sacrifice, burnt offerings, all these things on the new moons. That tells me that there was worship. There was worship. And not only was, was the Jews worshiping on the new moons out of their own accord or tradition or legalism or any other reason, but no, actually, God commanded it. Now, until now, I could not see this because I was looking for the word holy convocation, that phrase, like you see in Leviticus 23, turning the seventh day and most of the other holy days. It uses that phrase, holy convocation, in Leviticus 23, which means a commanded gathering, a commanded assembly. But I still yet to this very day do not see those words referring to the new moon. But we don't have to use the same phrase every time. And we don't see that same phrase with Purim, and we don't see that same phrase with Hanukkah. But we know that we must keep Purim and Hanukkah because Moses did, Solomon did, other people throughout Scripture did, and Jesus did keep those days. We don't always have to have Scripture spell everything out to us ABC straight out. It can use different phrases. It can use different words, different descriptions, different ways of telling us things. And that is on purpose so that it won't be easy for everybody because we're all being tested. Who will seek? Who really wants to know the truth? Who will read? Who will study? Who will pray? Who will fast? Who for it? Even Jesus said that he spoke in parables so that not everybody would understand, but only those that were being called. So we must seek, and he wants us to seek. And we cannot know all truth the first year. We cannot. It's impossible to come to all knowledge of all truth and all correct doctrine in the very first year that we get saved, or even the second or third year. And that is why it's extremely difficult to enter the first resurrection. It really, really is. And there is an extreme need for a second resurrection. Because it's very difficult to learn everything and repent of everything and become totally mature in the first lifetime. Very difficult. Not impossible. Just difficult. My job, in part, part of my job is to push people and provoke people to possibly have that opportunity and that ability to enter the first resurrection if you are called in this life and if you will 
continually grow in the truth. And we are all continually growing in the truth, even myself. It was impossible for me to accept this truth in my younger years. I was not ready for it. And to be honest, you was not ready for it either. Every one of us, including myself and you, every one of you, we have to learn only some at a time. To learn everything in one day is too much, or even one year is too much. We have to learn one thing at a time, especially when we are rebuilding from almost nothing concerning correct doctrine. When there was a famine of the truth in our society and almost impossible to find a true congregation or a true pastor or even a true Bible, complete, fully accurate, we're having to rebuild from ashes, from almost nothing. So it's going to take time to reestablish the church, to regather the church, to reorganize the church, and to relearn, just like Hezekiah, I believe it was, that had found the law, had found the scriptures, and they had not even kept the holy days, the tabernacles, and they had to relearn scripture and truth and reestablish the holy days in the times of the second temple and at the time of King Hezekiah. And we're having to do the same today. But we see throughout the verses I've been giving you and other verses as well is that on the new moons, they were literally worshiping Jesus in the church building or tent. And it was instructed to do so. God instructed them to have animal sacrifices, anointing oil, incense, the whole works, everything. The flour, the bread, the drink offerings, burnt offerings, everything concerning worship requirements was done on that date of the first day of every month. Let's go to the book of history now in 1 Samuel. One Samuel twenty. This is volume number two, history volume, page sixty-seven. Volume two, page sixty-seven. One Samuel twenty, verse five. One Samuel twenty, verse five. David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I shall not on any account sit down to eat, but you shall let me go, and I will hide in the plain until the evening. And then skip down to verse 18. Jonathan said, here in 1 Samuel 20, verse 18, Jonathan said, Tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be inquired for or salt for, or salt after, because your seat will be observed as vacant. Why are they saying this? And it's very clear 
that the reason that David and Jonathan are both saying to each other that people are going to notice David missing. He won't be in his seat on the new moon. Why would they say such a thing? And very clearly, the reason is, is that all the people was accustomed to seeing David on the new moon in his seat for worship, for a gathering of the people. People would have normally, every month, on the first day of the month, always would see David. But this time, he had to hide from his foe, King Saul, his enemy, his foe, King Saul. He had to flee and hide. So he would be missing on that day, and people would notice him missing. So we see that David did go to church, worship on the date of the new moon. We know that David, even with all of his sins and flaws, was a true man of God. Let's go to 2 Chronicles, the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 2. 2 Chronicles 2, page 178. 2 Chronicles 2, verse 4. Turning the time of the second temple. Actually, the first temple, <laughs> I think. Yeah, the first, the first brick temple, the first stone temple that John, that uh, Solomon built. Two Chronicles two verse four. The whole I also his son am building a house to the name of Jesus my Theos to consecrate it or sanctify it to him to burn incense before him and to offer bread of visible purpose. King James and New American Standard and other Bibles calls it a showbread or shoebread. Alpha and Omega Bible calls it the bread of visible purpose. And the reason for that is, if you think about the term showbread, shoebread, the bread that is seen, show, showbread, a bread that is seen, and it's not seen just for no purpose at all. It has a reason that it is seen. It has a purpose that it is being displayed. And all these different elements of physical worship and rituals in the Old Covenant ritual ceremonial worship, all of them, all the different elements had a foreshadowing. And Jesus was the true is the true bread of life. Jesus is the true light and the true water and the true, and the true bread of life. Scripture says that, that Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus says he is the bread of life. So the show bread was a foreshadowing of Jesus being a sacrifice for us, even as the lamb was also a representation, a symbol 
of Jesus being sacrificed for us. So is the bread. And because of the show bread for a reason and for purpose and for foreshadowing, it should actually be called the bread of visible purpose. Continually, we should offer this bread up continually and so offer up whole burnt offerings continually morning and evening and on the rest days and at the new moons and at the fiestas of Jesus or Theos. This is a long-term statue of Jezreel. So again, we do see, not just in the church tent, tabernacle that Moses built, but also in the first stone temple that Solomon built, they continue to do worship on the new moons, on the rest days, talking about the seventh day of the week, and the new moons, and the fiestas as well. The new moons was just as much, just as much a date of worship, just as much as the seventh day of the week and the fiestas. But it comes in its own category. Notice how every one of these times, every one of these scriptures that we have read, it puts it in its own category. Where it says rest day here in this verse, in other Bibles it says Sabbaths, talking about the seventh day of the week. So you have the category of the seventh day of the week, but then you have the category of what it calls the fiestas, the fiestas or the feast days, which are the annual holy days, Pentecost, and so forth. And then you have the new moons, a different category. And each of these were celebrated a little bit different, but they are all celebrated. They are all dates of worship, of gathering together as a congregation to worship Jesus. Then look at chapter 29, 2 Chronicles 29, 2 Chronicles 29. Verse 17, page 199, that might be a page or two different in your coffee according to when you ordered your coffee. 2 Chronicles 29, verse 17, and Hezekiah, which I spoke of earlier, began on the first day, even on the new moon of the first month, today's date, same date that Moses built the first tabernacle, Hezekiah, in the restoration of Solomon's temple, being the last temple built, now it's talking about the last temple that was built, the temple that stood in Jesus' day, this Hezekiah began on this day of the year, the first day of the new moon of the first month, to purify. And on the eighth day of the month, they entered into the temple of Jesus, and they purified the house of Jesus eight days, which was a 
a remembrance of Hanukkah, but not on Hanukkah, not in the same month as Hanukkah, but still yet eight days of dedication, eight days of uh, foreshadowing of Hanukkah, and on the 13th day of the first month, they finished the work. So we see here, this is very, 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 very significant, that today's date, being listed as a new moon, first day of the first month, that at least twice in Scripture, maybe three times or more, but at least twice in Scripture, this day was very significant for a new beginning for the church, a new beginning for worship. Amen? They didn't have a church building to worship in until Moses built the tent on this date. And then, in the restoration of the sacred stone temple, they did not have the main temple to worship in. It had been desecrated and defiled and not used for God until Hezekiah and Nehemiah and those people restored it and had found the copies of the scripture and came to remembrance of the truth and remembrance of the commandments and remembrance of the holy days and remembrance of when they need to worship and began to sanctify and purify the building on this date. Very, 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 very significant. And no coincidence. This is not a coincidence nor an accident that this is the date of this sermon. I had been thinking about this subject for several weeks, maybe even several months, but through Robert and I working together on restoring the scriptures and editing and improving the scriptures, the subject of the new moons kept coming up, which helped provoke me to deeper study and deeper thought and deeper prayer on this subject. And it just came to a head or a conclusion within this week. Now, it could have came to a conclusion last week or the week before or next week or two or three weeks from now or a month from now. But no, it came to a conclusion of a final determination that yes, the scripture is clear that we must worship on the new moons, that it's not just a tradition of the Jews, it's not the Jews doing more than required or any such thing, but it was God, Jesus, that commanded it right along with the seventh day, right along with the fiestas, as another time of worship, of ordained and commanded worship. Now I think back, I don't know how many years, I'm not good about years, but two years ago maybe, three years ago maybe, that 
we rented this ministry building here. And our very first worship service was on parents, and I did not even know it. Because at that time, we were not observing parents. I had heard about it. I knew that some people observed parents, but I did not know at that time that we needed to observe parents. But yet, that is the way God worked it out, is that our very first service in this building, this sanctuary, was on the date of Perm, and I didn't even know it until later. That's God. That is God. And the anniversary to that was two weeks and a day ago in God's calendar and over two months ago in the Roman calendar but in God's calendar it was only two weeks and a day ago that was the anniversary of us moving into this ministry building I did not plan this sermon for this date I actually meant intended to finish studying this topic and present it either we should or we should not either way my intent was to present it last week or the week before or even next week it was not my intent to finish it and present it today until God moved in my mind, my heart, my body, my soul to get this finished, concluded, and proclaimed this week, today. That was God's doing. That is God's doing. I do not plan it this way. I do not plan that this would be presented on the first day of the first month of the year. I cannot change the rotation of the moon. I cannot change the rotation of the moon, the sun, the stars, the constellations, the equinoxes. God is in control of the calendar and of this ministry. Praise his holy name. Amen. Praise Jesus. Now let's go to the book of Ezekiel 45 in the book of Prophets. The book of Prophets, volume 4, Ezekiel 45. Page 142. Ezekiel 45, verse 17. Ezekiel 45, verse 17. Now, if you'll give me time, eventually we'll get over even into the New Testament 
And we will also look at prophecy of the future after Jesus comes back. We will cover both of those. So I do ask everyone to bear with me because this might not be enough for you yet. This might not be enough proof, evidence for you yet. We should look at the New Testament, and we should look at if there's any prophecy for the future concerning it. We do need to look throughout Scripture. So we're going to do that. Now, in Ezekiel 45, it's important to understand the context that the last 10 chapters of Ezekiel is talking about the second stone temple. Temple that was rebuilt, restored in the time of Nehemiah and King Hezekiah that we just read about in two chronicles. Now, a lot of people believe, wrongfully believe, a lot of people wrongfully believe that the last 10 chapters of Ezekiel refers to the millennium. They think this is a millennium temple. They think this is a temple that is going to be rebuilt either during the tribulation or after Jesus comes back. And that's simply not true. We have nothing in the Bible that indicates in any way, shape, or form that this temple in Ezekiel 40 through the end of the book of Ezekiel, nothing in Scripture, anywhere indicates in any way, shape, or form that this is a temple for a thousand years. Nothing. Absolutely nothing indicates that in any way, shape, or form. People claim that it is a temple of a thousand years because they think that, well, it doesn't match, that the description of this particular temple does not match the second temple that Hezekiah and Nehemiah restored. And it's true that it doesn't match perfectly the description. But the Jews admit, the Jews admit, many, many, many different so-called Jewish rabbis, I'm not calling them rabbis, they call themselves rabbis, so-called Jewish rabbis, many of them admit that this is talking about the second stone temple, but that they did not obey God to the complete description of how they should have built it. They admit that this is God's instruction of how to build it, and they did not obey every detail of the instruction. That's not hard for me to believe. Because we know, unfortunately, that Israel, including the tribes of Israel, I mean, including the tribes of Judah, even Manasseh, the United States, even Ephraim, the British Commonwealth, that there are times that we did not obey God. It's because he tells us, build the temple exactly with all these details, does not mean that mankind obeyed it. We do not have a scripture that says that they did build it to this exact specific details. There is no scripture says 
that they did build this temple to the exact specific instructions. All we have is that God says, build it and let it be this way. And the Jews admit that they did not follow the instructions to the fullness. Now we know not only by their admission, but we also know it cannot be the Millennium Temple because there is Levitical priesthood and animal sacrifices for sin in this temple, in these 10 chapters. And we know that once the blood of Jesus was shed for our sins, that was an eternal sacrifice once and for all, and there would never, ever, ever again be a need or requirement or instruction for animal sacrifices for sin, yet that is occurring in that temple of these chapters. So it is impossible for it to be a future temple of God's instruction. Impossible. Many other reasons as well, which you can search for on the website. It's there on the website somewhere. Search for it. Now, with that being said, that this is the second stone temple that was built. This temple was built, but not to the full instruction of what God commanded. Knowing that context, in Ezekiel 45, verse 17, it says, And though the prince shall be offered the whole burnt offerings and the meat offerings and the drink offerings in the fiestas and at the new moons and on the holy days and in and, and all the fiestas of the house of Jezreel, he shall offer the sin offerings and the meat offerings and the whole burnt offerings and the peace offerings to make atonement for the cause of sin for the house of Jezreel. So there we see that there is a sin offering, sacrifices to make atonement which we do not have now in the New Covenant. But the point of today's topic, sermon, is the new moons. That in this temple, there would be animal sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings, which is a form of worship of that day and time on the new moons as being its own category of a day to worship among all these other categories of days of worship. Then go down to the next chapter, 46, verse 1. Ezekiel 46, verse 1, Thus saith the Lord Jesus, The gate that is in the inner court that looks eastward shall be shut the six working days, that let it be opened on the holy day, talking about the fiestas, and it shall be opened on the day of the new moon. Why? Think about this very carefully. This particular gate is closed in that second stone temple, the six working days. Why would it be closed? Why would a gate inside the church or a door of the church be closed six working days? Monday, I mean Sunday through Friday, the church is closed because nobody is there worshiping and nobody is required to worship at church, yes, at home, yes, but not at the church building, 
those six days of the week. But when the seventh day of the week comes, the gate is open. And at the new moons, the door of the church is open. That tells us that Jesus said, open the church building. Let the people come and worship and expect them, expect people to show up to come and worship because the door of the church building is open to the public. It's not just for the priests, but rather also the people to come and worship on that day. Look at verse 3. And the people of the land shall worship at the entrance of that gate, both on the holy days and at the new moons before Jesus or at Jesus. So there, the people of the land tells you this is not just something for the priest to do in private, but rather for the people of the land, the congregation themselves, to come and worship. And it uses the word worship. The people of the land to worship at this gate when it is opened up for the public at the new moons and at the holy days and seventh day, all these different times. Now, let's go to the book of Judas. And I believe that might be in the history book, if I'm not mistaken. And of course, that is Apotica. Yep, Book of Judas is in the history volume, history volume two, Judas chapter eight. And I'm glad for the opportunity that Jesus has gave us today to read from the Apotica, to read from the books of the Bible that people took out of the Bible. We need to read these as scripture as well and not leave these out. Whenever a topic comes up that can be confirmed or learned about by looking at these verses as well. Judas 8, verse 256, page 256, Judas chapter 8, Judas chapter 8, verse 6. Judas 8, verse 6. And she, Judas, fasted all the days of her widowhood, save or accept Robert. This change saved to the word accept. I might have already done it, I don't know, but let's do it if we're not. Accept the eaves or the evenings. Let's just go ahead on the eaves, evenings, or both, eaves slash evenings, perhaps, of the holy days. And the holy days. So it says she fasted all the days of her widowhood, except. The evenings, 
of the holy days and on the holy days and the evenings of the new moons and on the new moons and the fiestas and the former the formal days of the house of Jezreel. So Judah fasted normally. She would fast. But when it came to holy days, days of worship, including the new moons, she would be eating. Why? Because remember, many, many, many different times I have said that the holy days are days of rejoicing, days of celebration. And part of that is eating a meal and including fellowship with one another. If you have a local congregation, people should not show up five five minutes before services like they do at most of the Babylonian churches. Instead of showing up five minutes before services, people need to show up at least, at least 30 minutes before services, maybe even an hour or two before services. And then after services are over with, they need to stay most of the rest of the day, if possible. They need to stay at least one, two, three, four, five hours after services in a, a fellowship of one another, the brothers and the sisters eating a meal together, talking, getting to know one another, praying with one another, uh, asking questions of the pastor, learning and growing and talking about the sermon, and just overall fellowship, family together time between the true family, the true brothers and sisters. That is what should be done on all the holy days except for Passover itself. And also on the seventh day. And the reason Passover is an exception to that is because you know at Passover, we don't actually have a sermon. The only thing we do at Passover on that date of Passover, uh, April 19th this year, is only the true baptized saved people, not the whole congregation, but only the baptized members of the congregation and only those that we fully believe are truly saved, not anyone questionable. We gather together in a private, small, solemn ceremony where the only thing we do is pray, Sing one song, only one song, because that's what they did in Scripture on Passover, on the date that Jesus was arrested. We do the communion of real wine and unleavened bread. We wash each other's feet as a sign of servitude and humility. And then we leave. We all go our own way. We don't hang out. We don't party. We don't have a great feast. We don't even have a full meal. We just have the communion and the foot washing. And then we depart because that's what the disciples did. They departed and all went their own direction. And for the most part, deserted Jesus. And this is a symbolism 
and a memorial that we continue what was done on that Passover night that Jesus was betrayed and abandoned and arrested. But then the next night after Passover, April 20th of this year, on that particular Saturday night of this year, we have what we call the night to be much observed, and that is the night that they crossed all night long across the Red Sea. And that is a great celebration and a great feast and great celebration and celebration, I tell you what, a great night. Even though it's on the seventh day of the week this year, we will still remember it as a night to be much observed with celebration because it is a high holy day, not just the seventh day of the week, but the night to be much observed, the first night of the first day of unleavened bread. So it's a special and unique time of year, and everyone needs to have a great feast and great celebration and lots of fellowship. And I know that most of you do not have a lo- do not have a local congregation, but you can still, if possible, make yourself a good feast and celebrate by singing unto the Lord and worshiping God and spending extra time with him that day in prayer, but not in fasting, but in celebration and a feast like Judith did. She did not fast on the holy days. And we should not fast on the holy days. And the only exception to that is on the Day of Atonement. That the Day of Atonement, we are commanded to fast. Now, the main point of this verse is that she did celebrate by eating on the new moons. Now, let's go to 1 Maccabees 10, also in the book of history of the Apostolica, 1 Maccabees 10. Verse 34. 1 Maccabees 10, verse 34, page 289. 1 Maccabees 10, verse 34. Furthermore, I will, or I would like, that all of the fiestas, and the holy days, and the new moons, and the formal days, and the three days before the fiesta, and the three days after the fiesta, shall be all of immunity and freedom for all the Jews in my realm. Now what this is, is that a king or somebody in leadership is saying for three days before any of the fiestas, And three days after the fiestas, the Jews are free. They are immune to bondage and slavery and restrictions. They are free during the holy days, travel to to worship God, to be without 
restriction of bondage and slavery, they're free to worship these days, including the new moons. The reason he gives the people also three days before and three days after is time for travel because sometimes you do have to travel uh, to get to a place where there is a local congregation or a, a formal assembly of the saints. I also think about the three days that God told Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go three days out into the wilderness. Let my people go three days out into the wilderness. And what that was about was a three days travel, just like we see here, to go out and worship for the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. Now, of course, they went out and they stayed out, not just for the three days, but at first, that was what the request and the commandment of God was for Pharaoh, is to give the people three days travel, go and keep the days. But Pharaoh repeatedly said, no, I won't let them go at all. I won't give them the travel time. I won't give them the holy days. I won't give them the freedom to worship at all. That's a relationship between the three days. Now, it doesn't have to be three days travel. You do not have to take exactly three days extra before and after every time you go for a pilgrimage for a holy day. This is not a commandment that you have to take three days before and three days after. It is just that there was allowance. God wanted Pharaoh to give the allowance in this particular Alexander or Anarchies or somebody, whoever this is talking about here, also gave a three-day allowance. If it only takes you one day to travel, then so be it. If it only takes you two, if it takes you four, if it takes you ten, whatever. So don't get do not do not get legalistic about a three-days travel window. It don't have to be a three-days travel window before and after. The main point of this verse for this purpose of this sermon, spiritual principle of this verse for us is that even in that day and in that time, the new moons was one of the categories of days of worship, repeatedly throughout scripture, including the apostica. So we have seen this in what we traditionally call the Old Testament, and now we also see it in the apostica that they were continually in different time eras, in different periods of time, in different generations, under different leaders, continuing to keep the new moons. Now, let's go to the New Testament. The book of Colossians, chapter 2, in the New Testament. Colossians 2. Page 215, in my copy, page 215. And Colossians is right after Philippians. Which is after Ephesians. Page 
A lot of people know this verse very well. Colossians 2, verse 16. Colossians 2, verse 16. But let no one condemn you in regard to food or alcohol or in respect to a fiesta or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Robert, let's take out the word month. So let no one condemn you in regard to food or alcohol or in respect to to a fiesta or a new moon. Verse 17, things which are the, talking about prophetic foreshadowings, there's an extra space there in prophetic, Robert, foreshadowings, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now we know a lot of people twist and distort and wrongfully use this verse to condemn us for keeping what it says that we should not allow people to condemn us for. Pretty insane. Really insane. But people use this verse constantly to condemn us for the keeping of the holy days and the seventh day, the fiestas, when it says that we should not allow people to condemn us or judge us for the keeping of these dates. We know that Paul wrote this, and we know, and Paul and Timothy both worked together to write this, and Paul was very, 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 very much New Covenant. He is known as the New Covenant Apostle to the Gentiles. Amen. But yet, Paul said to the church, don't let people continue for keeping the holy days, the seventh day and the new moons. Now, if it was wrong for us to observe the new moons or the seventh day or the fiestas, then Paul would have a completely different attitude, would he not? Of course. If it was wrong for us to keep the holy days or the new moon, Paul would say, do not, do not keep those days, because they are contrary to the blood of Jesus. Paul would say that. We know he would. He said that about circumcision. He said that about legalism. And he said that about animal sacrifices. But he never, ever, ever said anything against the keeping of the seventh day or the fiestas or even the new moons never, ever, ever said anything against the observance of the new moon or any other days of worship of the Bible. Amen. Now, people say, verse 17, these things are foreshadowings, but the substance belongs to Christ. They say that means, they wrongfully say, that verse 17 means that they're replaced by Christ. actually a foreshadowing points to something. It points to Christ. And yes, Christ will 
eventually, when all things are done and accomplished, when all things are defeated, when all wickedness, when all sin, even death itself, is defeated and put under his feet, then he will totally replace even the holy days. And we will not have holy days or Sabbaths or seventh day or new moons in paradise, which is new heaven, new earth. We will not have the observance of the seventh day or the holy days or the fiestas or the new moons in the new heavens, new earth. Because the book of Revelation says that we will not have a need for the sun or the moon or the light from those things because Jesus himself will be our light and he himself will be our temple and we will dwell in him and we will dwell in his light. So we're not going to have the need for the sun and the moon, the stars and the constellations as far as telling time as far as separating the seven days of the week and the months of the year, because there will be no time in eternity. There will be no time in eternity. There won't be the counting of days and the counting of months. We will not have a need of the sun and the moon because Jesus himself will be the ultimate light that we will focus upon. But until then, until then, we have these memorials and we have these dates of celebration that Paul himself never condemned, but actually, by saying this, even approved. By saying, don't let anyone condemn you for keeping these days, he actually was approving and putting his stamps of approval on these days, absolutely. And in verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement. What that means is that the people that he was warning us about are people like the Holiness Pentecostals, and even a lot of the Baptists and other churches that claim that we must literally crucify, crucify the flesh, that we must never enjoy life, that we can't drink any alcohol at all, that we cannot celebrate, we cannot hollow and scream in celebration, and you just got to self-abase. You just got to crucify that flesh. You cannot allow the flesh or the brain or the mind or the soul celebrate or enjoy life because they are so legalistic. Pentecostal, holiness, denomination, and the Baptist church, and the Catholic, and all those different cults are very, very, very legalistic. They claim that we're legalistic because we keep the holy days of God listed in the Bible and commanded by God in the Bible and observed by Paul and Timothy and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and Jesus. Amen. And we're legalistic for obeying God, but they are the legalistic ones for saying, touch not, taste not, one drink of alcohol is a sin and all that other crap. 
They are the legalistic ones. And Paul is saying about these people that teach self-abasement, that you cannot enjoy your life, to not let those legalistic people condemn you for drinking alcohol and celebrating and rejoicing on the holy days. That's exactly what Paul is saying, whether you like it or not. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. Amen. And now, finally, one more verse. Let's go back, or let's go to the book of prophets, Ezekiel, not Ezekiel, I mean Isaiah's, Isaiah's 66. In the book of prophets, volume 4, where we are reading from the Alpha and Omega Bible, a restoration of the original scriptures. You're welcome to follow along any translation you may have there for the people that are tuning in. Isaiah 66. The last chapter of Isaiah. Now, after this scripture, I'm going to give some clarifications and instructions of how to observe what must be done, what must not be done. So please give me time for that as well after this scripture. In Isaiah 66, let's go to verse 23. And this is page 48 of my copy of the Alpha and Omega Bible. Page 48. Isaiah 66, verse 23. Verse 23 says, And it shall come to pass from month to month and from Sabbath to Sabbath that all flesh shall come to worship before me in Jerusalem, says Jesus. Amen. Praise Jesus Almighty. Now, we know that in Zechariah 14, it talks about after Jesus comes back, he's going to dwell in Jerusalem on earth for a thousand years and really forever. But it breaks, it breaks down time after he comes back to a thousand years and then a hundred years, which is referred back to in the previous chapter. Chapter 65, verse 20, talks about 100 years. So you got the 1,000 years, then the 100 years, and then the great white film judgment, and then eternity. Now, this verse, that it shall come to pass, is talking about the same time frame as Zechariah 14 of when people during the 1,000-year millennium and also the 100 years that follows that, both of those times on 1,000 and the 100 years, people will come up to Jerusalem every year to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, the fiesta, the celebration, the party of tabernacles. That is clear in Scripture. And it says there in Zechariah 14 that whoever does not come up, such as Egypt, the Muslims and the Gentiles, if they do not come up, they will be accursed with no rain. They will be punished. They will be chastised with no rain. During the millennium, after Jesus has come back to the earth, there will still be sin. There will still be rebellion. There will still be people saying, I don't have to do that. 
I'm a Gentile. I'm a Muslim. I'm this. I'm that. I'm Baptist. I'm Pentecostal. I'm Holiness. I'm Lutheran. Whatever. I don't want to keep. I don't have to keep the holy days of God. According to the Bible, there will still be sin and rebellion, and the people will be accursed during the time of Jesus on earth in the millennium. Not all things are finished and perfected until we get to the great white throne judgment, which is at the end of the 1,100 years. All wickedness and demons and Satan himself will be destroyed in the lake of fire, as well as all wicked people will be annihilated. The Bible says it. They will be annihilated in the lake of fire, which is the very presence of God upon this earth in that day and in that time. So this verse, verse 23, says that it shall come to pass from month to month and Sabbath to Sabbath that all flesh shall come and worship me in Jerusalem. All flesh, that's including the Gentiles, not just the Jews, not just Israel, but every nation, every person, every tongue, every language, every tribe, every color, everybody on earth will come. And Zechariah 14 makes it clear, required to come. Amen. By the law of God. Now, if we are going to be continually celebrating not only the Fiesta of Tabernacles and the other holy days and seventh day, but also month to month, when would that be? Is that the second day of the month? No. Is that the third day of the month? No. We know by comparing this verse with many other verses of the Bible, it's very clearly talking about the new moons. When, when else could it be? When else? Use logic, use common sense, use your brain. When else would it be what time of the month every month if it, if it is saying month to month? Of course it's talking about the new moon. So it's clear. This is clear. This is clear. This is clear as day. Amen. We just wasn't ready for it until now. Amen. We need to have worship services on the first day of every month. If we're going to be doing it after Jesus comes back, then we need to be doing it now. If they did it in Moses' day, and in Solomon's day, and in David's day, and in Hezekiah's day, and in Nehemiah's day, and in Judah's day, and the Maccabees' day, and when Jesus was walking on earth, and in Paul's day, they were still doing it, and he put his stamp of approval on it, and we're still going to be observing it even in the time when Jesus comes back on earth, then why would this generation be the only generation that would not observe it? We have lost the law. We have lost his commandments. We have lost even the scriptures. But all these things are being rebuilt, even the church itself. Truth, true doctrine, the scriptures, all of it is being rebuilt. Praise his holy name of Jesus Christ. Amen. He is restoring. In fact, this is called a time of restoration. And... There's a greater restoration to come in the second resurrection. 
9. Now, in all of these verses, and in other verses, the Bible never calls the new moon a Sabbath. It is not a commanded rest day. Just like Passover itself is not a commanded rest day. But the day after Passover is. Just like when you look at the fiesta of tabernacles, which is seven, seven days, and then an eighth day. The first day of tabernacles is a rest day, and the eighth day of tabernacles is a rest day, but the other days are not rest days. So we have certain holy days that are rest days, and some are not rest days. There is not any that I know of thus far. There is not any verse that I know of that declares or hints at a new moon being a, what they call a Sabbath or a rest day. It is a different category. We see that it was commanded for there to be worship that the door of the temple was open for the public to come worship, that there was sacrifices, that there was burnt offerings, that there was sweet aroma to the Lord that day, and every generation has kept it except for ours. Some have, but legalistic, in a legalistic way. We do not want to do this in a legalistic way, but we do want to be obedient. And at this point of time, I believe if we was to declare this as a commanded rest day, at this point of time, I believe that that would go too far and legalistic. I do not believe that we need to keep it as a rest day. I do not see any such commandments. It is a different category. But we do need to gather together in person or on the Internet and telephone lines and worship together on the first day of every month. Now, when I say first day of every month, that is not talking about the Roman Catholic calendar or the Muslim calendar, but rather we are talking about God's created calendar, which is the sun, the moon, the stars, the constellations. So we are going by looking at the sky, and when the first little tiny crescent moon begins after one, two, three days of darkness. You have the beginning of a crescent moon. And that when you very first see a little bit of the crescent moon, that is the first day of the month. It is returning from complete darkness to new light. It's like sunrise just like spring equinox coming from darkness to light. And all of the dates of the new moons has already been written, was already written, in the calendars on the website that most of you have already printed out. It's already on there for you. I don't even, I don't, do not even have to add that to the calendar. It's already on there. It already tells you the first day of every month on there. You do not actually have 
to go outside and look up in the sky. Now, you can if you want to, but you don't have to actually go out and look in the sky because, say, if you ask me, what time is it, Pastor Tim? I might look at my watch and I'll say, well, it is 3.38 p.m. And you would, you would believe me, right? I would have no reason to lie to you. It, it, it's 3.38 p.m. Eastern time. And you're asking me, look at the clock. You're asking me, look at the watch. What time is it, Pastor Tim? And I'll tell you what time it is. The same way with the moon. But I also understand that you do have to test. You do have to try them. Are the doctrines correct? And am I correct on the dates of the new moons and the holy days? You do have to test me on this. I know that. I acknowledge that. So it's okay if you do test me and go outside and look. But if you go outside and look at the moon, you've got to realize that the first day of the month, that crescent moon is only out for a short period of time, maybe a few minutes, maybe an hour, maybe two hours at the most. There could be clouds, there could be mountains, there could be trees, there could be buildings, there could be fog, there could be pollution, there could be all kinds of different hindrances to seeing the first new moon because that first new moon of every month is very small, very thin, and very limited, and very close to the horizon as well. It does not come up very far above the horizon. And it only stays up for two hours max, sometimes as little as a few minutes, and then right back down behind the horizon. And if you miss it because of any of these multiple reasons, it's not correct to say, just because you didn't see it, well, we didn't have the new moon and Pastor Tim was wrong on the date. You have to allow for all these possible hindrances of clouds, pollution, the horizon, buildings, trees, mountains, all kinds of different distractions. I mean, everything. The more accurate way, which I have been doing for years, is to look at a scientific internet website, which I link to on the New Moons article on the website at isawthelightministries.com slash newmoons.html, the New Moons article. There is a link on there that I recommend that you can click on that link and then it will take you to what I believe is the best website for looking at what is the moon phrase for every day of the month and year, year after year after year? Because it's more accurate to know what we, what we could see if we was up in an airplane or if we was looking from a satellite or if we was looking from the International Space Station. What is the actual phrase of the moon? Just because you don't see it for whatever reason, does not mean that it is not that particular phrase. So, for example, if there was 100 people in this room and nobody had a clock and nobody had a watch, but it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon, it would still be true 
that is 2 o'clock in the afternoon, even if there was nobody, even if nobody had a clock, right? Whatever time it is, that is the fact, that is the reality, even if nobody has the ability to know, to be able to see it. So just because you don't see it doesn't mean that that's not the reality. So the best way to see the moon phase without any distraction of clouds, fog, light pollution, air pollution, smog, trees, horizon, anything, you is the best option is to look at a scientific website of what is the actual phase of the moon. Now, with all that said, do not trust their definition. Because their definition of the Jews and of science is that a new moon is when there is no moon visible. No moon visible. Absolutely no moon to be seen. Total darkness for like a day, two days. That's what they call a new moon. That is not the biblical definition of new moon. So do not go by their definition. And a lot of people have a calendar that they bought in a store that shows the moon phases. Again, do not trust that either as far as their definition. When it says new moon on a calendar that you bought at a store, that's talking about no moon, invisible moon, total darkness, which is not the biblical definition. Amen. So we want to look at the websites to determine when is the first appearance of a crescent, an actual light being seen. I have already done that and looked at every month for the next three years and wrote it down and put it on the calendar that you can print out from the ministry website. I still have to do the year 2023, but I will get it done. We've got three, four years to get that done. It doesn't have to be done today. It doesn't have to be done this month. It doesn't even have to be done this year. We've got several years before we get to the year 2023. But sooner or later, I will get that calendar made for that particular year as well. And if you are receiving the notifications, you would get a notification when that calendar is done. Now, let's see. Now, there remains a question. Why? Why should we observe or celebrate, have worship services on the day every month of the new moon? Reason number one, because God said so. <laughs> Amen. We don't always have to know why. Reason number one is the greatest reason of all. God said so. Amen. But then reason number two is because only by determining the first day of every month, only by doing that can we know when to keep all the other holy days. All of the holy days, the annual fiestas, 
Feast of Tabernacles, Pentecost, Day of Atonement, Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread, Perm, Hanukkah, Feast of Trumpets, so on. We can only know when to observe any of those only by determining the first day of the month. So the first day of the month, called the new moon, is significant. It is a significant timepiece. It is a significant date on the calendar that should be acknowledged by all of the congregation, not ignored, not is forgotten about, but rather acknowledged and observed so that every member of the congregation is aware about how to determine the holy days and keep track of what month it is. Reason number three is as time draws closer and closer and closer to the Great Tribulation, we need to know how to tell time by looking at the sky. You might lose those copies that you print from the website. Those copies might be taken away from you by the armies, by the Chinese, by the Russians, by the Muslims. You might eventually one of these days have to look at the sky to determine the holy days. And only by determining the first day of the month can you count down the days to the holy days. Passover is the 14th of the month, of this month. But we can't know when to keep Passover unless we know when to determine the first day of the month so that we can count those 14 days to Passover, and so forth, is true with all the holy days. We need to learn, you need to learn, not just by reading the printouts of the calendars that you can print out, but also, yes, even by trying to look for the moons and learn how to tell time with a sundial, with the sun, with the moon, and so forth. Reason number four is that as we get closer and closer to the great tribulation and the return of Jesus after the great tribulation, we need to worship God more, not less. And we need to gather together as a family, as a congregation, as a fellowship, more, not less. Remember Hebrews, what is it, maybe Hebrews 10? It says that we should not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some people is. And it says, even so much more as the day draw near. In other words, as the time gets closer and closer to the great tribulation and to the return of Jesus, we should assemble more, not less. This is a grand opportunity for all of us to worship Jesus more often. Of course, we need to be worshiping Jesus throughout the week, within our homes, without commandment, without a need of a law that thou must do this at this particular time. It should be a matter of the heart 
of the soul, of loving God, reaching out for him, seeking him, and searching for that very close, very intimate love with the groom as we are his bride. We should worship God more, not less. But designated times helps us have a designated time of the day, a designated time of the month, a designated time of the week, as God does instruct us and command us, we need those commandments. We need that law. We need those instructions so that we would not say, I ain't got time, like many people do. If we have an appointed time, which the Bible says they are appointed times, if we have an appointment with God, we will show up. Not only weekly and yearly and three times a year and seven times a year, but continually month to month. On the first day of every month is a grand, wonderful, great opportunity to grow in truth, to worship God more, and to fellowship more often as well. There's a lot of pluses to this. No drawbacks. And nothing negative from this. There is no bad fruit from this. That's another question that we should always ask ourselves about any doctrine or any practice. Is there any bad fruit from this? There is no bad fruit that would come from worshiping Jesus on the first day of every month. Now, another issue that we must address is that many people will claim that we are worshiping the moon because we are, we are observing the moon, looking at the moon, worshiping on the first day of the moon. And I can understand people's confusion but that's all it is, is confusion and false condemnation and false judging. And what did Paul say there in Colossians 2, 16? To not let anyone condemn us for the keeping of the new moon and the Sabbaths and the fiestas and the drinking of alcohol and food and feast on these days. So no, their confusion and their lying tongue and their jumping of conclusion is not legitimate. We are not worshiping the moon. We're simply looking at the clock to know what time it is to worship. If we are worshiping the moon by gathering together on the first day of the moon, then they are worshiping 7 a.m. or 10 a.m. or 6 p.m. or whatever time that they go to church on Sunday, they are worshiping that particular hour of the day, if it be true that we are worshiping the time of the month, then it would also be true that they are worshiping that time of the day because they also are looking at a clock. If it's wrong for us to look at God's clock, it is wrong for them to look at their mechanical clock. Same thing. We are not worshiping the moon. These scriptures that we have examined says that these days are unto Jesus. 
new moons, that the fiestas, that the Sabbath, that these days are his. Amen. We are simply looking at his clock to determine time of when to gather. Because we need appointed times so that we can gather all together in the same place all at the same time. Amen. So that there would not be chaos. Amen. There must be law and order. Now, the next new moon. Of course, today is new moon, and guess what? You just attended a new moon observance. You just attended your first new worshiping of Jesus on the new moon. Amen. Now, do you feel like that you just got done worshiping the moon? No. I am sure, I am confident that no one here feels like that they just got done worshiping the moon. We was not given the moon any kind of glory. Amen. But you just attended your very first new moon observance. Amen. And the next one will be May the 5th. May the 5th, which is going to be on a Sunday, we're going 